0: challenges and uh, policy considerations uh, connected uh, uh, with the uh, EPA. But in this session we have five excellent speakers uh, to talk a little bit more about the uh, what the EPA might really mean for companies and uh, consumers for what uh, might be the economic effects of uh, the EPA. They will try to answer this uh, question from various perspectives. First of all let me introduce briefly our speakers. Well, from my right maybe, Mr. Sebastian Jean, the director of SAP. Next is Mr. Hiro Hiro Inoue, director general of the Brussels office of the Japan External Trade Organization. On my left is sitting Mr. Masahiro Nakata, the minister from Mission of Japan to the EU. Then we have Mr. Gabriel Felbermeyer, the director of IFO Centre for International Economics, University of Munich. And most on my left is Mr. Luis Portero, the policy coordinator for trade relations with Japan of the European Commission Digitrade. So well, we have five speakers and only ninety minutes for the session. So well I will ask each speaker to talk for about 10 up to 15 minutes if possible and so that the, later we can have some questions and discussions with the audience as well. So in order not to waste uh, any more time, first uh, Mr. Felbermeier, please, the floor is yours.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, also thanks uh, for having me. Thanks also for hosting my PhD student uh, Sonali who did such a fantastic job. I am uh, now uh, in the relatively complicated situation to add something to that, Zonali uh, has been uh, citing uh, from, <clears throat> from the work that we have done. Um, but I, will, I have a couple of comments nonetheless. I also have prepared slides and I'm wondering uh, how I can make them appear here. Um,
0: here is the okay. remote controller. Can we have the slides?
1: Okay fantastic, yeah, so three points uh, much too ambitious agenda, of course, for ten minutes but let's i'll be i 'll stick to the time frame first <clears throat> the, the the session has the nice title uh, about the real economic impact uh, of the epa so real sounds uh, a challenge I'll, I'll comment a little bit uh, on that I think we we can learn quite a bit. Uh, from uh, history and from the EU, Korea FTA in particular, which uh, we evaluated for DG trade, uh, EFO and civic and, uh, and colleagues. And then I also would like to discuss some results from the EFO KO study, which Sonali uh, uh, has also cited. Let me start with the, with the caveats, the real economic impact. So I think we have become quite good as economists to do ex evaluations. But they are rarely done. Actually, I mean, the Commission does more of it now. But uh, people have mostly been interested in ex ante estimation. That's, of course, more relevant for policy purposes. But here we still have issues. No real impact. Hard to hard to, to say that we are we we um, um, can solve any doubts. There has been advances in modelling. We have better integration of theory, data, and estimation. But we have still substantial issues with data goods trade, fine, services trade, we have huge data issues. And I want to emphasize this here in Brussels because they are just glaring. Uh, not so much between the EU and Japan, for example, EU-US. Uh, we have a situation of very bad data quality. That also has implications for our results, of course. Then there's an issue of scenario uncertainty. We need to make assumptions. What is this agreement about? We can read the legal texts Uh, We can take the tariff schedules from the text; that is relatively easy, but how to bring non-tariff barriers into quantitative modeling? That is complicated. Typically, as economists, we do that under certain assumptions, I'll discuss that, under the Citrus Paribus assumption, meaning that we change just, uh, say, non-tariff barriers or tariffs. But we also know that uh, uh, the EU-Japan EPA also has effects for economic policy making more broadly in Japan, for example. has been cited by by Jin Tzu Abe in in this direction. And these are things that we do not model. So if it gives rise to a deeper reform process in our economies, that will be not in our estimates. But it it sometimes seems that the the commitment function of such external agreements to domestic policy making, beyond tariffs and non-tariff barriers, is more important politically and also probably quantitatively. Then, as Sonali said, we don't have dynamics, Uh, that's that's an issue in most of the modeling, uh, which tends to underestimate the long-run gains, but probably overestimate the short-run gains because we do not uh, appropriately uh, model short-run adjustment costs, and that is important to bear in mind. We don't have multinational enterprises. Not having them in the specific case of the EU-Japan agreement could actually lead us to overestimate gains, because what, what could happen is that uh, we, are sub, we substitute uh, domestic production, I mean European production by uh, Japanese affiliates with exports. That might be totally fine for the European car industry, so your expert interviews, I think, are totally rational or so the answers you got are understandable. But if you are interested in EU value added, which also includes wages of workers, taxes paid, not just profits. the picture might be different, and so my my conclusion for the eu automotive sector is maybe a little bit less optimistic than yours and um, then uh, we we can have. You know all sorts of uh, results. We can engineer all sorts of results once we allow for distortions of any sorts in, in these in these models. So, uh, generally speaking, if we if we open up an economy or do a trade e- agreement in an economy that is that is affected by many distortions, maybe on the labor market, on the product product markets, then we actually don't know what the the effects of the agreements can be. They can be negative, they can be positive, and the models we're using downplay the role of distortions quite substantially. So these caveats are very important. Real economic impact of FTA, we don't know, and the EU EPA, we don't know neither. I'm saying this despite having made all these studies, or some of those studies. But uh, what we can produce is the most, the most, you know, is, is, is the best we can do, right? So that's 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 the claim I would like to make. There's one certainty: EU-Japan is big. Uh, uh, this has been uh, this has been mentioned, which means it will have impact. Uh, we have a lot of other trade agreements, say the one with Moldova, Moldova for example, where we cannot expect anything. Uh, uh, you know, it's too small. But here, uh, the, the, that is clear. We are talking about a big and systemically relevant agreement. Now how do we model non-tariff barriers? That is a, a big question. And um, uh, our approach, since we did our first study for the Bertelsmann Foundation, I think I should mention them in 2017, uh, uh, was to say, let us go and, and study the EU-Korea FTA more closely. And the good luck we had was we were actually doing it anyway for DG Trade. So we could more or less take the lessons from there and plug them into our simulation models. What is uh, the upshot uh, the of that? That's a picture you also find in the in study, a similar one. Um, same data, same message. The, in 2011, the EU-Korea agreement was signed. And we see that from that point on, the evolution of exports Of the EU into Korea and Korean imports uh, and and Korean exports into the EU started to diverge from Japanese, from the Japanese path, meaning that there was some decoupling. Now, one can go to great lengths with the gravity models, not to understand whether that is just a correlation. Maybe this would have happened anyway. If you look at the data, you see some prior trends that, that already look as if Korean trade was expanding. So we need to. You know, tease the causal effect out. Oh, that's most. That's what we did for the for the European Commission in our evaluation study of the Korea FTA. You don't have to to look at to understand all these numbers. What what the uh, the key lessons are is that first, yes, the inception of the EU Korea FTA triggers substantial trade growth from 2011 onwards in the order of magnitude of 40 percent. That is substantial, more than many expected. We had a strong devaluation of the of the won in that period. That is all taken into account, so that is relatively large. There were initial asymmetries, so initially it didn't look so good for Korea, but that relatively quickly was overcome. Uh, what is maybe the most important insight for me here is that we have evidence for strong horizontal effects. That's very important for any quantitative assessment of FTAs, even if an FTA in a in a, in a specific area, say in, in, in pharmaceuticals, does not specify anything, there can still be positive effects. First, because the agreements do have horizontal clauses. So, for example, if you promote SMEs or if you have additional transparency provisions, that will help everyone. But even beyond that, uh, it, it is possible that the, the, um, the agreement raises information available and so on, and that, that uh, has then effects in sectors that are not actually covered. Um, we also find from the empirical analysis that trade diversion is relatively low, and uh, so the big question is: Can we replicate that uh, for the EU, Japan, EPA? Now, what are our results? So I, I will be brief here, a quick, because uh, because Sonali has already talked about it. We use a relatively standard uh, uh, simulation model that uh, we. we, we call it New Quantitative Trade Theory because it, it, is, it is inspired by the newest uh, developments in how you know, academics uh, think about quantifying trade effects. But when we say newest economists it's typically an, uh, an exaggeration. Uh, the data we use is the GTIP data is well known. Um, we have it for 56 sectors for many, many countries. The country detail is important. The KO colleagues insisted on that because they are interested in, in, in understanding how the, the neighborhood around Japan, many small countries from Vietnam uh, to Taiwan, uh, uh, how they would be affected by this agreement. Uh, the data is available for 2011 only, unfortunately, so we had to update it to 2018. Um, what we also have in our model is a very careful modeling of value-added networks, of production networks. That, too, is probably quite important. And then we do a couple of scenarios. Uh, the one is uh, our best scenario, if you like, where we take the entire EU and, and, uh, and, and simulate the effects of the agreement, tariffs and NTB cost reductions, and then we do a checkers-type Brexit. No, checkers meaning that we have a customs union with the with the uh, with Britain that might not be very, very realistic. Uh, so now talked about a hard Brexit scenario. The checkers scenario is interesting because it actually means that nothing much happens right uh, and the point is that customs that um, uh, it's, it's it's the it's the customs that make the hard brexit so problematic rules of origin and with with britain remaining in the in the in the customs union things look, look a little bit different maybe there is someone from britain in here so that would be that would be really an advantage and then we also look at the at the tpp 11 um, we are right now, because that's now submitted to a journal, and they asked us to to see what happens if we have a trade war with the United States, so if there are those uh, car tariffs and if the U.S. goes into a more broadly isolationist policy. The the thing is that in a situation of a, that was one of your questions on your last slide, in a situation of a, a trade war with the United States, the agreement becomes much more valuable, not less. So there is the, 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 the you know. The worry of course that this disturbs value uh, b- b- production chains yeah, and, and value added networks that 's correct, but uh, the the defensive nature of the of, uh, of that agreement in the context of uh, trade war with the United States is even more important, so that adds actually uh, value to the agreement now how would uh, how would uh, japan 's exports uh, grow so i 'm here having here the exports to the eu for for a lot of sectors what you see is it, you know, certain sectors stand out, automotive, for example, chemicals. Um, the total, and these are, these are billion US dollars, the total increase that the model predicts is 80 billion. This is based on the experience with the, with the EU-Korea agreement. And what you're, at the very right, what you see there is, the, is not the exports to uh, EU only, but total exports uh, of Japan. And because these two numbers are very close, what that tells us there is very little trade diversion actually going on, even the opposite now, because the overall trade goes up by more than trade uh, uh, exports with the, with the eu only. that is a little bit uh, uh, due to the fact that we are looking here at cross exports and the domestic value added content of those exports actually goes down yeah? but not by much but, uh, but the bottom line here is very little trade diversion. if you now look at um, at other exports destinations, you see that very little is changing. Interestingly, when we look at imports, it's a little bit different. You know? So here again, in order of magnitude of 80 billion US dollars more imports of Japan. So the situation is very balanced, which is always an objective uh, in in trade negotiations. But here you see the total imports of of, uh, Japan go up by less than um, imports from uh, the European Union. So on the import side, that seems to be a little bit of trade diversion. And that falls um, mostly on the the US and Canada. uh, And China, other ASEAN countries, less so. because simply because uh, the the product overlap is not that big. And ASEAN actually is also pulled up. Certain ASEAN countries are pulled up by additional sourcing of Japanese companies in these regions when they serve the European market with additional exports. We can decompose macroeconomic effects. Sonali has already talked about them. Maybe what I can add is that, um, as always in these new generation trade agreements, tariffs alone wouldn't matter much. so, uh, agricultural tariffs, manufacturing tariffs, even, even uh, um, uh, in the in, in the in the in the situation we're looking at here, doesn't make much of a difference for Japan. The tariffs reductions would generate additional GDP worth 2.5 billion US dollars. That is not very much compared to the total, which is uh, in the magnitude of uh, 17, 18 billion US dollars. Where the where the juice is in is NTBs. Uh, and here it is manufacturing NTPs and service NTPs, N- even not agriculture. While the largest cuts of NTPs are in the agricultural sector, agriculture in rich economies doesn't uh, uh, account for so much spending, and that explains these numbers. If you were to add up uh, the, the gains for the rest of Europe, that's the ROEU, Germany, UK, France, and Italy, you would come up with a relatively similar number to Japan. So also in that sense, the agreement looks balanced. Right. Uh, so, the GP uh, gains are similar for the blocks involved. And also, the structure, where do the gains come from? It's often uh, manufacturing NTPs and service NTPs that really make a difference. Now, in the services sector, that's one of those, there's this a very broad area, of course, where you might fail to really identify specific things that you could translate into NTP reductions. It seems to be important, so the horizontal effects in the data at least seem to be very important there. So if we are if we were, we're not going from um, um, you know, using this broad approach, we'll probably miss some of the benefits, in particular in the services sector. There are losers, too. right? Uh, we don't assume spillovers in the NTP area that some studies do. We don't do that at IFO. We don't think there's empirical evidence for doing so. But the losses are small. Please look at the magnitude of the effects. They are much smaller. No? They, it looks big in the picture, but the magnitude is very small. And uh, finally, we'll talk about the macroeconomic effects. Let me insist again on the, the, uh, on the sectoral dimension here. This is uh, a value added in Europe. It's not firms' overall profits. It's the value added. So it includes wages and taxes, of course. And what you see there is a pattern that reflects the structure of comparative advantage interacted with uh, initial level of protection. What we do think, we do find in our study, is losses for the EU automotive industry of 4 billion uh, euros, uh, dollars in this case. This is not enormous, but it is sizable. But that is more than offset, of course, by large agri-food gains. Uh, and by gains in other services, services often matter because they, because, uh, indirectly, because many of the goods exports, of course, contain a lot of services uh, content. Um, I'll, I'll uh, not, won't go through that. But let me thank you again for your attention and for having me here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you
0: very much, Mr. Fabelmeier. So. Uh, next, the second speaker, Mr. Jean, please.
2: Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> thank you for the invitation to speak. Um, I have no quantitative study to, to rely upon. Uh, and what I would like to do in this uh, uh, short uh, um, talk is, is to share with you a few thoughts about uh, um, uh, why? Uh, whether this uh, agreement is re- really important and why, uh, and and what it means, uh, so to say. So my starting point is um, uh, the fact that there is, in my view, a striking contra- contrast between. Um, the profusion of superlatives in announcing this agreement, uh, uh, like uh, the world's uh, largest free uh, industrial economic zone, for instance, according to Prime Minister Abe, or (coughs) according to the Commission, the most important bilateral trade agreement ever concluded by the European Union. The contrast between this kind of announcement and the fact that um, uh, my feeling is that (coughs) it has remained almost unnoticed in public debates. In Europe, in France certainly, but uh, more widely in Europe. So uh, the, my, my starting point is to wonder, is this agreement really important? And if yes, why? The first approach, of course, to deal with this question is somehow, arithmetically, uh, measuring uh, what is at stake commercially in bilateral trade between the EU and Japan. And I will not enter into uh, um, quantitative uh, uh, issues they have been dealt with, but we've heard that uh, uh, indeed the amount of bilateral good exports and service exports is quite substantial between the the two zones, and that of course uh, uh, deserves uh, uh, attention and and makes the the agreement uh, interesting in itself it's very significant in particular in some specific sector that's the reason why it has been dubbed the car for cheese deal uh, for obvious reasons and, and we've seen the, the, the assessment in the two previous presentations uh, the three ones uh, perhaps uh, um, and it indeed makes the point that uh, there is uh, uh, something quite substantial at stake in in this specific sector especially given that each partner is highly competitive in uh, the, the sector uh, sectors at stake i would add that there is an, an insurance value in this agreement and this is especially valuable today um, <clears throat> at a time when the uncertainty is rising dramatically in the trade arena um, at a time also when diversification can be quite useful in somehow um, making sure that we retain the degree of leverage necessary with regard to all our partners. I noticed that uh, and I emphasise that uh, yesterday commenting about the the new NAFTA, the the renamed NAFTA, uh, the President of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce uh, said we, should, uh, we must never again allow ourselves to be overly dependent on one trading partner, which I think is a, a, a wise lesson to draw uh, from this episode for Canada, probably also uh, an oversight of uh, the long-term consequences of this uh, kind of uh, historical negotiation uh, um, created, or a historical climate created by the Trump administration, but also an illustration of the value of diversification So um, uh, at the same time, I would say the value of this agreement, the economic direct value should not be overstated. At the end of the day, tariffs are pretty low in both areas, three and something percent on average, depends on how you you compute it. We already have, both of us, a large number of free trade agreements, so there is a kind of uh, diminishing marginal return to, to trade liberalization. And if you look at the numbers, they are not, if you look at them in relative terms, they are actually not that large, or should I say quite small. I mean, EU-Japan trade is barely more than 1% of of world trade. That's five times less than EU-US trade, four times less than EU-China trade. So given the scale of the partners, that's pretty small, actually. I would say, and I'm not uh, expecting large uh, efficiency gains from this agreement, to put it bluntly. Um, so, it, does it mean that it's not a big deal? Not so fast. I would not jump to, to that conclusion. Why? Because there are different dimensions in this agreement. It's not only a free trade agreement, and it's named an economic partnership agreement. I would say also it's also somehow a political partnership, and it's an economic cooperation commitment. And I think these two aspects make it important. Political partnership, of course, even from an economic viewpoint, uh, um, this dimension takes particular salience in the present situation, where in particular uh, the US trade policy is so chaotic, let's say. Um, Also displays such a disregard for uh, multilateralism. At a time also where uh, the other uh, trade superpower, China, still relies upon an economy where uh, state intervention is ubiquitous, and uh, there's no sign for this uh, changing soon, at least in the the direction of uh, less interventionism. And I think that makes Japan and the EU jointly the, the main defenders of, uh, uh, among super, trade superpowers of a rule-based trading system between market economies, in addition to being, of course, both uh, liberal democracies, which is uh, not uh, the least important uh, dimension. But even from an economic or trade point of view, this is, in my view, a historical responsibility, uh, meaning that this kind of agreement between like-minded partners is something really valuable. Now the, the next dimension, and, and more, um, uh, the next dimension is this dimension of economic cooperation commitment. We all know that uh, uh, now increasingly non-tariff measures are more important than tariffs, and this is especially the case probably between uh, the EU and Japan. Um, so improving cooperation in various regulatory areas as this agreement will allow, I think especially valuable in that respect. It will allow uh, avoiding unnecessary differences. Um, It will uh, allow engaging more in cooperation, dialogue, uh, uh, providing transparency in uh, conditions surrounding trade relationships. So many uh, uh, commitments are, uh, in, in that uh, respect, uh, quite significant and valuable in the, in the agreement. For instance, those regarding uh, commitment to recognise other parties' technical regulation as equivalent if they fulfil the same objective, which is the case in, in Chapter Seven on technical barriers to trade. I also want to mention, because I think that's especially interesting, the safeguard on automobiles, because I think. This is a very interesting way of establishing a kind of parallelism between non-tariff measures, concessions, and tariffs, in the sense that it includes, uh, uh, it encapsulates uh, um, this safeguard, a way to make a breach of commitment on non-tariff measures uh, uh, actionable through uh, withdrawing concession and tariffs without establishing uh, the reality of the uh, of the damage which make it far more practical i think far more operational in practice and i think this is very interesting in uh, in terms of uh, the design of such agreement of course regulatory cooperation is also a source of concern frequently because it is feared that commercial benefits will lure government in accepting concessions Uh, which will lower regulatory standards. And we've uh, uh, heard and we've witnessed heated debates in Europe uh, in this respect for several years now, especially in relation to the transatlantic negotiation. And that's obviously, in in my view, one of the the main reasons, actually, why the EU-Japan agreement uh, received less echo in European media, uh, basically because we share pretty similar collective preferences and there's no uh, uh, or less fear that uh, Japan would engage in a kind of race to the bottom on, on uh, regulations. Um, <clears throat> now, the economic value of, this, of such uh, um, uh, cooperation in the regulatory dimension Uh, is also especially important for innovation and that I think is particularly valuable when both partners have large markets as is the case here with cutting-edge producers an additional dimension is that such Cooperation, such joint work, especially if it is established um, in uh, reference to international standards, international recognized standards, as is the case in many areas, can have a significant impact on third parties. And here um, it means that standards or rules jointly agreed upon by Japan and the EU might become fairly attractive to third countries. And if we, because it would make access to this last market easier, because um, it would uh, make imports of that product cheaper, and uh, because uh, um, it, and so these advantages hinge crucially on a strong market position. And here, if we want to go into, enter into a metric of how important it is, then the question is not about the bilateral trade relationship barely 1% of world trade. Remember, I I was referring to a moment ago. The question is more about the joint importance of the two partners in world trade. What's this importance? Well, if we exclude intra-EU trade, Japan and EU were jointly originating more than 20% of world exports and world imports of merchandise. But if we now um, assess what is the share of world trade in which either the EU or Japan is, is part, as an importer or an, an exporter, um, excluding in trade, trade We see, we see that this is more than 40% of world trade. For sectors like machine tools, specialized machines, precision instruments, current cycles, more than 55%. And in aeronautics and pharmaceuticals, more than 70%. So here we're far away from the 1%, and I think this is what really matters here? Uh, what really matters is how our common capacity to leverage this very strong market position in key industries, um, and which are key to, to tomorrow's world, main challenges, leverage that to um, advance in them in direction we we deem positive, and that's also. Um, I think um, uh, something which uh, r- should um, recall us of the, the, the increasing importance of uh, trade and of, uh, as a consequence of the fact that we cannot ignore uh, and uh, we can we cannot ignore its interaction with other areas like social and environmental issues, climate change, uh, climate change, fiscal policies, and even that we should take this dimension increasingly into account. And um, uh, I think this is also a way to make jointly our Uh, regulatory choice is more influential, and our uh, views of the the right way to uh, build this interaction between trade and other dimension in the way we are favoring. Uh, Also a way to, it can be a way to join support uh, for common objective, like reaffirming uh, the Paris Agreement commitments, uh, uh, favoring open standards based upon uh, international recognized standards, as I already mentioned. Um, and also restating a number of uh, principles and and, and practices. So in that respect, uh, at the end, and the, the bottom line for me is that indeed, even though the trade relationship is not that large as is often claimed, this agreement can be really important. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Jean. The next speaker is uh, Mr. Nakata. Please.
3: Well, <coughs> thank you very much, uh, uh, Professor Bilfotska. Uh First of all, uh, I thank you very much uh, for the invitation to this event today. Uh, I like to also uh, 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 express my gratitude to uh, the, the author of the uh, Bruegel study uh, and for their very informative introduction and, and also for the very objective uh, findings and especially or, or, or at the same time very positive uh, uh, conclusion uh, uh, of the report. And uh, I'm also very happy uh, to hear uh, uh, from my previous speakers about uh, their uh, uh, positive uh, conclusions, even in a very modest uh, analysis by Mr. <laughs> Mr. Fairbairn. Uh, but, uh, uh, but before getting into uh, 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 the Japan-U.E.P.A. policy, I'd like to uh, uh, briefly describe uh, the strategic uh, importance of the agreement. Well, uh, well uh, uh, as my previous speakers briefly uh, touched upon, uh, uh, especially the Bruegel study, briefly uh, 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 mentioned Japan and the EU are uh, strong uh, supporters of multilateralism, uh, uh, for free trade, and uh, more importantly, the rule-based uh, uh, world order. Well, we are uh, the important partners which share the common value of uh, uh, human rights, democracy, and rule of law. Uh, On the other hand, a common value uh, existing global and uh, existing global order confronting various challenges, uh, as you know, such as unilateralism and um, uh, protectionism. So, in such a world, our cooperation uh, has never been more important than ever, where actually in order to fight against these worrisome uh, tendencies in the world, uh, uh, where, uh, uh, where we, fa- we have to fight against uh, this, suddenly uh, without uh, uh, using uh, the, uh, the very long sword of samurai. Uh, well, Japan, the EPA, uh, together with the, the SPA, the Strategic Partnership Agreement, uh, 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 Is one of the answer to uh, such demand for closer Japan-EU cooperation uh, in order to tackle these challenges. Well, now let me uh, uh, move on Japan's key trade policy in uh, uh, and the EPA. For Japan, uh, this EPA is a very important part of uh, our economics. and its trade policy, alongside with other uh, very important mega FTAs, uh, including, as you know, TPP11, the RCEP, and uh, more recently, uh, the, the, the trade agreement on goods with the United States. But I think uh, the Japan-EU uh, EPA, uh, the significance uh, of this the agreement is tremendous, uh, because uh, this is already real, they agreed. And uh, as my previous speakers, Country uh, 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 mentioned, uh, uh, pointed out, uh, uh, this is the biggest uh, 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 free trade zone we are going to create. According, according to the preliminary uh, uh, analysis or uh, estimate of the government of Japan, uh, disagreement will push up the Japan's GDP by one uh, percent. But I think. Uh, well, that is not directly comparable with other figures because uh, the, the, the parameters and uh, the, the, the calculation methods are different. Well, uh, but the important of, important, uh, importance of uh, EPA cannot be fairly represented uh, uh, by uh, this figure only, because the most eminent feature of the agreement is, uh, 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 in fact, its character as the most advanced FTA in today's world. Uh, I just say it's the first 21st century model FTA in the world. Well, it goes with, uh, well beyond a simple free trade agreement. Uh, it's a vehicle that Japan, uh, together with Europe, to lead the world to promote an open, fair and balanced economic system based on the rules. Of course, the level of tariff elimination by the Japan UEPA is one of the highest ones. Industrial products will be eventually 100% duty-free both ways in several years. And however, tariff elimination alone is not enough to improve market access in many cases. That is Mr. Jan pointed out. While respective establishment of regulatory uh, practices the japan UEP has achieved to render a system more efficient, uh, transparent and predictable uh, or more business friendly. Since Japan and the EU already share to a large extent the same regulatory philosophy, enhanced mutual understanding between our regulatory authorities will lay ground further meaningful regulatory cooperation uh, 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 between us. Uh, let me turn into uh, some detailed uh, issues. Uh, uh, first, in the investment and the services. Well, outcome of the Japan-EU EPA in uh, trade, is, uh, trade on goods is eminent. Uh, but I should say that investment is another important achievement for the two economies. Well, as you know, there are, uh, currently there exists no bilateral investment agreement between Japan and any of the member states of the European Union. So, uh, the, the provisions on the uh, market access uh, rules of investment uh, in this agreement is very important for Japan. Uh, actually, the, Japan, the EU is the largest uh, foreign direct investment uh, uh, provider in Japan, uh, whereas Japan is, the, uh, uh, is by far the largest investor uh, to the EU market. Japan EU EPA commits to pave a way for further two way investment, including investment by SMEs. On services, uh, the commitment, commitment to facilitate the free movement of natural persons, including investors, corporate transfer and their dependence amongst the Member States should be mentioned here as important achievement uh, to improve the foreign direct investment uh, climate in the EU from Japanese point of view. Well, on trading goods, the core of the trade deal, I do not want to get into the detail because uh, as I heard that Mr. Inoue, the next speaker uh, from JETRO will make an in-depth presentation on Japan's perspective of the impact of the EPA, uh, especially focusing on the industrial goods. But I'd like to highlight in this connection that Japanese people are now looking forward to see and have high-quality European industrial and agricultural products in Japanese market very, very soon. Uh, one Wine is one of such European products. Uh, uh, Japan and EU EPA will completely eliminate the tariff on wine from day zero, the date of entry into force of the agreement. This is the best offer we have ever made. In fact, this is the very first time uh, uh, Japan has committed to do so in a trade deal with uh, 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 the partners' countries. Talking about well, agriculture, the Japan-EU EPA is not limited to the elimination and the reduction of tariffs on the agricultural goods. Uh, it's indeed the first trade agreement uh, for us that has a specific chapter uh, dedicated to agricultural cooperation between the parties. There is a lot of scopes for uh, a mutually beneficial cooperation between our authorities and producers to jointly respond to the growing demand in the world for a high quality and safe agricultural product. Well- where well, these food products will be protected by the EPA, for example, in recognizing more than 200 EU uh, GIs, uh, uh, GIs in Japan, more than 50 Japanese GIs in the European market, uh, where well, uh, Camembert de Normandie or, or uh, Bourg d'Ardennes, uh, Jambon d'Ardennes, uh, is uh, amongst good example. And uh, the number of protected GIs uh, is expected to uh, uh, certainly increased in the future and appropriately incorporated into the agreement. The improved market access in the agriculture and the food se- uh, sector may benefit the EU producers more than the Japanese producers, at, at least at the, the early stage. However, Japan uh, is in the process of transforming its agricultural sector more competitive and the export interest in is growing. We welcome more competition from the EU. I hope that the elimination by the EU of tariffs on agriculture and fishery products will lead the European people to find and enjoy more easily a Japanese high-quality food products in the near future. Another remarkable aspect of the JPA is, is that it is SME-friendly. Uh, The Japan EU EPA provides uh, that both uh, authorities shall nominate uh, responsible offices which liaise with SMEs and upload useful information for SMEs on the website. I hope to increase transparency uh, in the business environment of the SMEs through these provisions will uh, further promote trade and investment that involve SMEs on both sides. I would like to stress also the chapter on the regulatory cooperation uh, uh, as uh, 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 also the very important uh, 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 chapter. Uh, It's a framework for cooperation on a purely voluntary basis, but I'm pretty much sure the chapter will uh, uh, greatly... Uh, increase the transparency and predictability of regulations on both sides and uh, promote regulatory cooperation between Japan and the EU. So it will drastically improve the business environment of industries and especially the SMEs. Before closing, uh, 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 let me briefly touch upon the position of various stakeholders in Japan. Uh, I'd like to highlight in this connection uh, uh, the recent visit to Japan uh, of the delegation of INTA, the International uh, Committee on International Trade of the European Parliament. Where uh, they had a meeting with various uh, stakeholders uh, in Japan, including not only the, the, the ministers of the government and the representatives of the industries uh, but also uh, the trade association the trade union associations and uh, as well as um, uh, consumer uh, organizations and uh, civil society representatives. Uh, They had a press conference at the very last day of their visit to Tokyo, and shared with us the finding that almost all stakeholders they met in Japan have a very positive view on the EPAs, and I think this is a remarkable thing. In concluding, uh, 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 the Japan EU EPA, which was signed by our leaders on 17th of uh, July this year, uh, is now under uh, the ratification process. The first discussion uh, on the EPA in the Inter of the European Parliament was held last week on 27th of September. The both the government of Japan and the European Commission are expecting for the entry into force of the A agreement as soon as possible, uh, so that citizens in the both sides are, are uh, Uh, can be benefited from the most advanced outcome of the 21st century model trade agreement. Therefore, I'd like to uh, 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 say uh, it would be highly appreciated if you could send uh, uh, your voice of support for the EPA to the European Parliament uh, for its smooth and swift uh, ratification. I I stop here. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Nakata. Then the next speaker, our speaker, will be Mr. Inoue.
4: Yes, uh, can I? Oh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you for inviting me today. I- I'm Hiro Inoue from Jetro Brussels office. It's a great honor for me to speak on uh, business opportunities uh, realized by the EU Japan EPA. Let me start with an overview of Jetro, my organization. Jetro is a government related organization established in 1958 and which currently has more than 70 overseas offices including here in Brussels. Jetro is not only supporting Japanese companies to export from Japan but also assisting European companies to enter the Japanese market or expand their businesses in Japan. We have so far assisted approximately 500 European companies for starting their businesses in Japan. Based on these experiences, we Jetro would like to contribute further to the mutually beneficial uh, partnerships between the European Union and Japan. Next, I would like to touch upon the overview of trade relationship between the European Union and Japan. From 2009, exports from the European Union to Japan have been increasing uh, constantly, and the European Union had a trade surplus of around 800 million euros last year. At the same time, Japanese investments in the European Union have been growing and more than 5,000. Japanese companies are employing approximately half a million people and procuring 45 billion euros in the European Union. As you can see, uh, the European Union and Japan have already fostered a mutually beneficial relationship and I believe the Japan-EU EPA will surely strengthen the win-win cooperation towards the future. Let me move on to the concrete advantages of the Japan-EU EPA. On this slide, I would like to point out seven pillars of the benefits of the EPA from the perspective of European business sectors, because we are now supporting European companies to entering into the Japan- Japanese market. First, uh, the EPA will improve the market access for companies, not only for the, in the European Union, but also in Japan. Secondly, Japan will recognize uh, more than 200 geographical indications of European agriculture products and protecting European farmers and producers. And thirdly, the EPA will expand the opportunities for European suppliers to participate in open tenders in Japan. And the EPA will also open up Japan's services market to European companies and the EPA will enable the two parties to work more closely together to develop international standards and to discuss how to address issues when our regulations are incompatible. In addition, the EPA will promote the foreign direct investment between the European Union and Japan, and it will lead to the new era of a more uh, innovative win-win partnership between us. And finally, the EPA will show our clear commitments to internationally recognized environment and labor standards such as the Paris Agreement. With with these benefits from the Japan-EU EPA, according to the uh, calculation of the Japanese government and European Commission, exports in goods and services from the European Union will increase by more than 20 percent with even more impressive increases by sectors, and European exporters will no longer have to pay Japanese tariffs, as much as currently around 1 billion euro annually. As a result, uh, the EPA is expected to increase trade by 100 billion euro, and it will create 1.4 million new jobs in the European Union in 10 years' terms. JETRO is now very much looking forward to the entry into force of the EPA by early next year. And I think there will be these uh, three important opportunities for business sectors here in Europe. Let me start from the first opportunity. As you may know, the tariff elimination rate on industrial products is 100% in the EPA. Regarding agricultural products, more than 80% will be fully liberalized. On this slide, you can see a very good example to show the impact of tariff reduction in Japan. Thanks to the Japan Chiri EPA, tariffs on bottled wine from Chiri have been reduced and will reach 0% next year. You can see the impressive increase of Chilean wine imported to Japan since 2007. The more the tariff was reduced, the more wine from Chile was purchased by Japanese consumers. The direct causal relationship is crystal clear. Last year, the volume of Chilean wine imports finally exceeded that of French wine for the first time. Similarly, uh, once the Japanese U E P A will enter into force, I expect that we will be able to enjoy much more European products in Japan to the great benefit of both European producers and Japanese consumers, including my wife, because my wife has a strong <laughs> attachment to the European wine and so forth. <laughs> Let me move on to the second opportunity for companies and farms in Europe. With the Japan EU EPA, businesses are able to expand further business partnerships with Japanese companies here in Europe. According to JETRO's survey, more than half of Japanese companies expect benefit from the Japan EU EPA. Currently, Japanese manufacturers in the European Union procure more than 50% of products and materials from the European Union. And more than 75% of Japanese manufacturers suppliers are local companies. With a better environment for investments by the Japan-EU EPA, more and more Japanese companies are now planning to expand business partnerships with local companies here in Europe. And I believe it certainly will be a huge opportunity for both local and Japanese businesses. Finally, companies and farms in Europe can increase their investments and expand their businesses in the lucrative Japanese market. The foreign direct investment to Japan has been steadily increasing to the record high level of 224 billion euros last year. Since the launch of the Abe administration in 2012, gross domestic product, stock prices, and unemployment rate have all improved drastically in Japan. As a result, Japan has regained the leading position in Japan in innovation, FDA confidence, and so forth. According to a survey by Jetro, foreign affiliated companies are now generally performing well in Japan and have positive prospects on the growth and expansion of the business in Japan. As you can see on this slide, The top three attractiveness of doing business in Japan are the high standard Japanese market, stability of nation and society, and good partnership, uh, good partners with outstanding technologies. In addition, the Japanese government is now pursuing Japan's growth strategy under the concept of Society 5.0. Through the collaboration between industries, universities, and government, Japan aims to create a society where we can solve social challenges by incorporating cutting edge technologies into every industry and social life. In Japan, further data utilization and technological breakthrough and are strongly pursued, especially in the field of healthcare, mobility, supply chain, and new lifestyle, including smart use of renewable energies. And I think more and more European companies will find opportunities in these fields. Of course, regulation might be an obstacle for innovation and new business growth to attain society 5.0. Therefore, the Japanese government is now introducing a new regime. Called the regulatory sandbox, just like the UK and any other countries in the European Union. For example, light-sharing services have been limited in Japan due to the regulatory env- environment. But a company requested qualification on a particular aspect of light-sharing and the potential service therein, and the authorities determined that in this case, the service was not subject to current regulation. This kind of process can lead to new business development even in the presence of regulatory bottlenecks. Japan has become an exciting place for new business development recently. As a result, EU's direct investment in Japan has almost doubled from 2008 to 2016, and the European Union is the largest investor in Japan, exceeding North America or Asia. And European companies are earning more in Japan than companies from any other regions in the world. I hope uh, many European companies will find great opportunities to grow business in Japan. The Japan EU EPA will create a highly integrated market of two advanced economies with huge population. Its true effect will depend on how much it is utilized by companies and firms, including SMEs and we would like to do our best to support the real businesses both in Europe and Japan. And we hope that the Japan EU EPA will be soon ratified by the European Parliament and the Japanese Diet by the end of this year. The entry into force of the Japan EU EPA will surely send a powerful message to the world about our commitments to maintaining and developing a free, open, rural-based global economic system. Thank you very much for your attention.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Inoue. And then last but not least, Mr. Portero, please. Uh,
5: thank you so much. It's uh, obviously very difficult to uh, say something new after uh, all what the previous speakers uh, just said, but uh, uh, contrary to the Samurais, I have no short uh, sword, so I can be relatively unrestricted uh, in my (laughs) approach uh, to the presentation. So I will try to contribute with some, perhaps, uh, not necessarily new, but some uh, additional nuances uh, to the debate, and I promise to be very short because we need, uh, of course, to engage in uh, some debate. Now, I will start, uh, or I will focus on on the Let's say international effects uh, of the uh, agreement. I mean, of course, uh, it is very difficult to come up with a very sexy and high figure of GDP boost uh, when you have uh, big economies like the Japanese economy and the European Union economy, and then you compare that obviously with. Uh, the additional trade that you may generate. But this, uh, again, I mean, may lead to less uh, sexy figures than you would expect, but it is uh, nonetheless uh, perhaps missing the point of what uh, additional trade opportunities and trade liberalisation can do to foster competitiveness and innovation. And also, uh, importantly, uh, we should look at the competitive relationship with other partners. And that will be my first point. Both uh, Japan and the European Union have not remained idle uh, over the past couple of decades when it comes to trade liberalization. True, the WTO has actually not been able to manage a multilateral agreement as it had been hoped, but uh, individual countries have... Uh, concluded FTAs, uh, and we have now a spaghetti bowl, uh, uh, as it is normally said, of FTAs with different partners, but these achieve a degree of trade liberalisation. When it comes uh, to uh, um, uh, to this to this effect, uh, uh, Mr. felbermeier uh, pointed out that uh, the new agreement between Japan and the European Union is not expected to generate huge trade uh, diversion uh, effects, and I guess, in aggregate or overall uh, numbers, that is uh, that is indeed the case. But it does allow producers in Japan and in the European Union to regain some trade competitiveness vis-a-vis competitors in other countries. And this is particularly important for sectors where there there were or there are tariff peaks or, or some specific impediment to the trade relationship. The most glaring example is the one that Mr. Inoue mentioned about wine. And I can tell you, for the European wine industry, the French industry uh, in particular, the fact of being surpassed by Chilean wines has gone down very, very, very badly, Uh, and they are looking forward to uh, regaining their well-deserved top spot that historically held uh, and lost only very recently. So there is an issue for the European Union producers, not only in the one sector, but also in other sectors, uh, to compete on an equal basis, let's say, with producers from Chile, from Australia, or the TPP-11 uh, countries that, of course, have or will have a uh, liberalized relationship with Japan. The opposite is also true. And uh, of course, the, the, the issue of the automotive sector, sector and Korea uh, for the European Union, the, uh, the, the liberalization in that process also plays uh, a role. So that's the first point. I mean, we uh, do this uh, agreement uh, in order to, say, level the playing field. It's a, a certain sort of multi- multi-la- multi-la- multilateralization, uh, if you allow me to use that word, uh, when it comes to leveling the playing field uh, between different uh, trade partners. Second thing is, it's not only uh, preferential trade partners. Uh, Over the past uh, decades, through two decades, uh, there has been, of course, a uh, growth, uh, impressive growth uh, of emerging economies, and not least uh, China uh, among them, uh, that have also uh, resulted, presumably, uh, in a significant effect on the intensity of the trade relationship between Japan and the European Union. Japan used to have a much higher share in European Union trade 20 years ago than it has uh, now. Now, these emerging economies, in particular the the largest among them, pose specific challenges. And uh, I mean, if you look at China, of course, uh, you have a situation where, from an European Union viewpoint, and I believe also a Japanese viewpoint, we do share a lot of what the Trump administration is saying in terms of the need to address uh, state capitalism forced technology transfer, uh, subsidies provided through state-owned enterprises to the economy, because these are all distorting factors uh, that ultimately affect the competitive relationship at the international level. Of course, where the difference lies is in the recipe to address those challenges, and uh, we are uh, definitely not in favor of unilateral moves as the one we are we are seeing. We would actually like uh, to, uh, to to engage with partners in order to address. Uh, those practices in China and other countries, not least through a robust enforcement strategy and this is um, an active utilization of the dispute settlement systems in the WTO etc. Interestingly, the uh, United States is seemingly doing whatever it can to sabotage uh, the appointment of appellate body members in the WTO that would actually allow for this more robust enforcement uh, strategy to be uh, to be unfold. But aside from that, there's another thing that we can do to address those, uh, the challenges posed by those emerging economies. And what we can do is to negotiate and conclude trade agreements among highly industrialized nations. I mean, th- th- Think about that. Uh, there is this famous group in multilateral trade, the Quad, uh, that used and actually comprises Canada, the United States, Japan, and the European Union. The Quad uh, was basically a, a creation of the multilateral system, and it operated within the, the multilateral system. The relationship between those economies tended to be regulated by the multilateral rules. There's one exception, of course Canada and the United States with NAFTA, but that's very special. They are neighboring countries and very integrated economies. Now, there has been a radical change in that. By the way, industrialized countries have said, well, we are going to address the modern challenges in the world economy, also by taking decisive steps to increase our competitiveness by liberalizing among each other, by cooperating among each other. And if you look at it from the Quad, now the European Union has an agreement with Canada, has negotiated, and we hope to conclude very soon, an agreement with Japan. And well, the missing one is of course the United States. Uh, We tried. It didn't work out so far. Uh, But uh, you see a little bit the the trend of the tendency. So that's uh, something that we can do in order to somehow respond as well to the challenges posed by uh, emerging economies that should contribute more to the world uh, trading system, to the world economic system, as a matter of fact. Uh, And uh, and there uh, we hope uh, that uh, some steps could be uh, taken. The fourth thing that I will say, and perhaps I will be concluding, uh, has to do with the analysis of uh, economic effects of a trade agreement of a new generation, like the uh, Economic Partnership Agreement with uh, Japan. Well, I mean, we have in Digitrade done our own um, homework, so this is the report uh, issued this year that is available to everybody. I will not go uh, into the figures and the, and the uh, modeling details uh, uh, of the study. But there's always a challenge when trying to estimate uh, the effects, the economic effects of, of, of these new generation agreements. And the challenge is that those agreements are not conceived as static. It is not just a matter of liberalising, eliminating tariffs uh, from one day to the next, and that, of course, you can quantify uh, through general equilibrium models, etc. The agreements are meant to be dynamic, and they are meant to be dynamic in the area that that all the speakers actually highlighted: Mr. Jean, Mr. Feldmeier, Mr. Nakata, and Inoue, on uh, non-tariff issues. So. The actual economic effects of the agreement depend a lot on the commitment of the parties to cooperate uh, within the structures set up by the agreement and to cooperate to set a new generation of common standards of joint approaches to address industrial issues, agricultural issues of common interest. And this is a challenge. this is a challenge administratively and from a governance point of view, because you need to have you need to mobilize in many occasions agencies that are not, not necessarily so exposed and used to international contact as we are in, in moFA or or, or or METI or in, in DG trade in the, in the European Union. But this is a common challenge uh, that we have to do if we really want this to deliver the largest benefits uh, that we uh, can wish for we do really need to make an investment from day zero on uh, implementation uh, in order to again make this agreement dynamic uh, have new solutions for uh, non-tariff buyers and have an evolving process whereby uh, new innovations new changes in industrial uh, models that come up over time are properly addressed uh, within the structure of the um, agreement. And I think I will uh, stop there uh, in the interest of time and uh, uh, debate. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Portero. So now I would like to open the floor uh, to the audience. We will uh, first uh, well, ask for the questions and comments uh, to our speakers. Then I will ask the, uh, the speakers to briefly answer to the main points, give some final uh, remarks uh, to what questions and comments uh, we receive from the floor. Okay, so, okay, from this side, please.
6: It's working now? Okay, thanks a lot. So, my name is uh, Roland Kulke. I'm working for Transform Europe. It's uh, the political foundation of the European Left Party. Uh, I speak here as an absolutely layman in this regard. Uh, So, therefore, uh, please let me say one sentence. uh, As introduction, I'm pretty much shocked by, by the one sided Uh, direction of the panelists Uh, I haven't seen trade unionists I think employment is an issue with trade Uh, I haven't seen uh, representatives from small farmers we spoke a lot to my uh, understanding too much on agriculture Um, therefore uh, so from my position I would like to know more about regulatory cooperation I know only from TTIP. We heard it sometimes but i would like to know more about regulatory cooperation in this specific agreement and then there was mentioned before um the question of impact on employment um at the very beginning uh, opening from uh, miss Trudri. Uh, what kind of influence will we have there what what do we uh, see there uh yeah
7: thanks a lot
0: thank you very much next
7: Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm Mr. Baruti, Senior Research uh, Fellow within Research and Documentation Juridic African. We are Brussels-based. As you you may know, I am a lawyer. I I do want to join the previous uh, comment on the regulatory cooperation, because we were talking about the international uh, trade, which will involve stakeholders uh, uh, dealing with different legal uh, juridic, uh, legal system and judicial system so it's better to have a kind of uh, international uh, structure who can deal with the different uh, situation depending on the which country comes uh, the uh, company in in, in dispute situation thank you
0: thank you very much anyone else from this side
8: okay. yes. uh, my name is Jean-Pierre Delatte. I'm lecturer at the University of Brussels uh, the presentation on of the study and also the work of IFO uh, is extremely interesting what I find uh, strange in a way is the huge uh, variety of uh, in, in the level of impacts or of macroeconomic impacts, for instance, of the of the st- different studies that exist. They are all going in a positive direction, uh, and it is obviously a win-win game, uh, so to speak, which is good. But uh, what I would like to understand better is what drives these huge differences in the results. And and for instance, the commission has published in 2012 an impact assessment that was also pointing out to much more important figures in terms of uh, uh, impact on GDP of an ambitious FTA with uh, with Japan. Uh, I don't know who can help on this. Thank you in advance.
0: Thank you. Then shall we move this way? Any other questions? Comments. Nobody from the middle, so maybe <laughs> here, the back of the floor. No other questions or comments? Ah, yes, please. Uh,
8: Kurt Geiser from Backbone Consulting in Germany. I have a question for Mr. Uh, Inoue. Uh, you mentioned also environmental standards we have a big discussion uh, about diesel bans uh, in germany and uh, it will soon uh, cover the whole european union and uh, especially in germany uh, we have difficulties uh, to uh, let grow the number of electric cars how is the situation in japan
0: thank you very much any other questions comments yes please
8: Um, Hi, Gert Schoenberger from the European Commission, uh, DG Research and Innovation. Um, Very broad, simple question. uh, uh, Several of you have highlighted the importance of innovation in in the future for Japan as well. We know that innovation is key to the uh, EU's economic development strategy. Where do you see the greatest potential for collaboration between the EU and Japan when it comes to innovation and research? Thank you.
0: Thank you. Any other questions from the back of the room, maybe? Well, if there are no other questions or comments to our speakers, then, well, let's say around five minutes, maybe. I, can we, Well, can we extend time a little bit? <laughs> not really (laughs) okay so let's say three minutes per person (laughs) so that we are almost on time with the end of the session so well maybe from Mr. Jean please
2: Perhaps just a few short short comments on on regulatory cooperation, which uh, uh, indeed uh, has been mentioned in several questions. I think, as a matter of fact, is uh, one of the main uh, uh, issues at stake, uh, including in a dynamic perspective. Um, uh, I think the, the main principle is to be engaged in, uh, uh, in cooperation, in, in dialogue, um, because regulation at the international level is um, something where you you need to gain influence on third parties. I mean, you cannot impose something on on others. Uh, You can make choices on your own, but then uh, having an influence on international uh, markets in uh, globalized industries is something which is uh, uh, not obvious by, by any means. That's why I was pointing out to uh, the importance of the common market position uh, of uh, Europe and Japan, because I think it makes it really possible for them together push for some kind of solutions, keeping in mind the fact that uh, the point is not just about immediate trade gains, but also about more uh, wider uh, society choices, if you like. And that's a way also to address the question about which sectors are at stake. If you look at this common market share in in world trade, I mentioned uh, aeronautics and and pharmaceuticals, that's um, ones where uh, uh, it is more than 70 percent, but machine tools, tools, uh, beverages, uh, specialized machines, precision instruments, cars, of course, are, uh, I think, especially uh, sectors to uh, to keep in mind. And in all, I- I'm not sure I know more about what is a specific industry in which there is more potential, but I think if we make it easier to access each of the market and to collaborate in terms of regulation in those markets, it can be pretty important already. Mr.
4: Thank you you very much. I'd like to focus on the last two questions. And first, regarding the environmental issues. I personally participated in the COP negotiation to tackle the climate change. That was COP 6 and 7. And as you know, this year COP 24, so it was 18 years ago. And I'm a prehistoric world I'm living in. (laughs) I lived in. And the Japanese government or Japanese industries have strong attachment to the uh, tackle against climate change. So we are now uh, thinking about our 2050 visions uh, to attain the uh, Paris Agreement. And in this EPA, too, we have the you know, reference to the Paris Agreement as the first uh, FTS for Japan, to mention that. And regarding the uh, electric vehicle, yes, we Japan are doing our best to, you know, uh, promote the use and development of the electric vehicle. But at the same time, we are facing we are faced with some difficulties, and because as you know, uh, there are many many competitive companies in the U.S. or in China. So we are now uh, promoting our technological breakthrough, uh, trying to have the. Uh, competitive advantage, especially on the batteries fields? That's one question. And second question is regarding innovation. And I was in charge of drafting the Japanese growth strategy uh, named uh, Society 5.0 before I came here. And and the uh, main concept is uh, open innovation. We cannot attain the uh, Society 5.0 by ourselves. So we need international cooperation to have a more and more high innovation even in Japan. So we are very much interested in the horizon 2020 of the European Commission and also after the 2020 new framework. So we try like to uh, strengthen our cooperation with the European Commission or Europe- European member states to have more innovation towards the future. Based on the EU-Japan EPA, I think this EPA could be a very good foundation or platform for the more cooperation in the innovation field between the European Union and Japan. Thank you,
0: Mr. Nakata.
3: Well, thank you very much. Uh, well, uh, I'd like to say about uh, also the regulatory cooperation. Uh, well, uh, how to address the various legal systems and. Uh, 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 well, uh, uh, the regulatory cooperation chapter in this agreement is uh, uh, just the, uh, uh, about uh, the the, uh, the regulation uh, uh, under the EU competence, and not. Uh, 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 cover uh, the member states' competence. So uh, our cooperation is only focusing on the, uh, the, the, the EU-level regulation as well as the, the, the comparable Japanese uh, regulations. And also, uh, this is a voluntary, a purely voluntary scheme, uh, system, and so uh, that does not affect negatively the, 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 the regulatory authority of uh, any EU institution nor the member states' institutions. So, uh, But at the same time, that cooperation is very, very important for all the traders and industries uh, for both sides, because that kind of cooperation will further strengthen the transparency and predictability of regulations. And uh, so I hope that this will work uh, once uh, the, the agreement come into effect. Um, as to the, the various analysis, I, 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 I'm I not in a position to to, to to say something, but uh, one thing is that uh, the parameters and the models or, or calculation method is different, then the result is also different. But I'm uh, 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 happy to hear that uh, even the various uh, calculation method models, uh, uh, the, 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 the conclusion was uh, the same, uh, 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 the overall Impact to the economy of uh, of the agreement is uh, relatively positive. So, uh, uh, and and I see no, uh, uh, in a macroeconomic perspective, no negative uh, impact analysis has existed. uh, uh, So, uh, uh, I think that's the situation. Um, Well, the situation in Germany and the, the, the electric cars and so on, well, I'd like to highlight that the staging period of Japan-EU EPA for the, the elimination of tariff for, uh, for, for automobile is seven years. That is longer than the EU Korea, uh, five years. And uh, you know uh, the car industry's situation is now drastically changing, and uh, uh, so in seven years the situation will be changed. And uh, so I think the tariff elimination and the disagreement will not have huge uh, economic impact to the 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 automotive industries. Thank you very much,
0: Mr. Felbermayr.
1: Thank you very much. two comments, one on the labor market effects and the other on the variety of uh, impacts that we estimate. So labor market questions, I think I have uh, devoted uh, almost my entire academic career in understanding how labor market effects are shaped up by uh, globalization scenarios. And I think what we can safely say today is that uh, long-run employment effects are relatively small, if there are any. But where trade matters is for the wage structure i.e. for inequality. Now this doesn't show up in the uh, in the models that have been uh, surveyed here because they look at very broad categories of labor-only, high-skilled versus low-skilled workers, something like that. But we know from the literature that the action happens within those groups. So it's within the group of low-skilled workers or within the group of high-skilled workers that trade tends to increase the dispersion of, the dispersion of, uh, of incomes. Okay? Um, how, how big is that? I think the consensus would put it at 20% of the overall effects. So we, we have seen wage dispersion increase in many countries. A fifth, maybe, of that effect in the United States, in Germany, in France, is due to trade. Yeah, so it is there, uh, but we shouldn't we shouldn't over focus on employment effects. The short run, uh, the short run, we might see disruption, uh, and uh, I think uh, the, the studies are, are clear on that. If you look at the the, the sectoral impacts. You do see sectors that uh, could shrink uh, in, in, in Europe. The effects are small generally. Automotive is one, chemicals is another. And uh, it is the, the, the um, relocation of workers from one sector to the other is not immediate. Uh, so we have to look there for, for issues. And I think generally we need to think about trade adjustment assistance programs a little bit more in a more structured way than we have been doing so far. Second point on the variety of uh, estimates yes. They are large, but uh, one interesting feature is that um, actually for this agreement eu Japan, the newer estimates are actually all quite similar. The outliers that, that predict relatively large gains are older studies from the Commission uh, that use I think uh, technology or methods that, that many of us would, would now say are have been modernized and renewed and reviewed and have led Maybe, unfortunately yeah, to a, to a dampening of, uh, of effects overall and, and what we see is more convergence in the in the effects I think what we can take away from those studies from of all of them is first that they teach us something about uh, the structure of those effects which sectors are going to win uh, which are going to lose um, Are all EU member countries benefiting? The answer is yes. It's not automatic. So I've done studies where there are losers within the European Union. So I think we learned something about the structure. We shouldn't overdo the the size of the effects, whether it's 0.2 or 0.4. The the sign is relevant, and we can deduce something on patterns. And uh, certainly there's a lot of ongoing research, uh, and certainly much to be done uh, to push the frontier there, and maybe next time we do such a, such an event uh, we can report some success on this front
0: thank you and mr portero
5: well i, I will just on the uh, first point about the um, the, uh, the 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 panel uh well i'm i mean i'm very grateful for uh university umbrella that uh, to put up this uh, this whole program and uh on a personal level, I do agree that, of course, uh, when you are talking about analyzing the impacts of a trade agreement, you have to involve the several communities out there, uh, the trade unions, the consumer uh, advocacy groups, uh, the, 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 the employers, of course, industry farmers, and so on and so forth, and actually, uh, you know, we're always very happy uh, to have, uh, uh, you know, as comprehensive uh, settings as possible in order to enable an uh, an exchange of views. I mean, that's also incidentally the reason why TG Trade organizes civil society dialogues and other forms of engagement, so that actually you can have uh, an exchange uh, of views and also provision of of information on our our trade policy. Uh, On, just on regulatory cooperation, As as Mr. Nakata said, this is uh, basically a voluntary process, uh, and an important thing to bear in mind is that it is strongly geared uh, towards the uh, adaptation to international standards. So it's not just simply a bilateral kind of uh, thing uh, that we do in our corner, and it is completely separated from the world. It cannot be. Japan and the European Union are are international players. We have multinational companies, so the point is really, you know, a strong... It's strong geared towards uh, international, um, international standards. But in areas where we are setting the, the, the tone, where we are, you know, leading, let's say, uh, then of course, yes, I mean, we'll, we'll try to, to, to push that forward and, and pull the others. And this is actually a positive thing. And let me just mention one example uh, of regulatory cooperation in a certain sense. Uh, and this is the, the data protection uh, talks. You know, at the end of the day, if you look at the situation through the engagement between Japan and the European Union, we reach a situation where the level of data protection, the guarantees for the privacy of individuals and so on are higher now than they were before. And that will lead to the adequacy decisions between the two parties, etc., etc. So you know, there are positive uh, outcomes from regulatory cooperation, and this is what should be expected in the future as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Think we are almost right of on schedule. Thank you very much for participating in the session and warm <laughs> thanks
7: to all the speakers.